0: When you're speaking to your clients during your relationship, you're also putting yourself in a position where you can offer additional services. So -hmm. your clients' businesses are going to change over time. They might start to grow a team or move offices. Every step of the way, you need to be in front of them saying, actually, I can help you with this. Maybe we can do a cash flow forecast or maybe I can um, sit with you in this meeting that you've got coming up and, and support you more as your sort of financial expert. So remember, we're always marketing to the clients that we've already got as well. You're
1: listening to The Bookkeeper's Podcast. Sponsored by Zero. I use Xero's accounting and bookkeeping software to manage my clients' accounts and I love it. If you haven't tried it yet, head over to zero.com with an X and you can either start a free 30 day trial or sign up to Xero's partner program to join their amazing community of forward thinking accountants and bookkeepers.
0: Hi and welcome to the Bookkeepers Podcast. I'm Zoe
1: Whitman. I'm here with Joe Wood. Hey Joe, how are you? Hey Zoe, I am good, I am good. Really excited about talking about how to start a bookkeeping practice in 2024, getting ahead of the game. We've had so many conversations in the last little while about people that are getting to the end of their studies and they're thinking about what next year is going to bring and they want to start launching something. And we thought, why don't we just come in here and, like, explain how we would do it again if we were going to start from the beginning.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think we've had... um... I think we quite often speak to people who are stuck in that studying trap. You know, mm-hmm. you, you think, well, I can't do anything at the moment because I'm just studying, and my my only focus can be on studying. And um, and we forget sometimes why it is we're studying, and actually that while we're studying and training, we've got this great opportunity to share what we're doing and start building that kind of hype. That something is coming, particularly from our friends and family, who really want to support us anyway. Um, and I think it's, you know, if you're listening to the Bookkeepers Podcast and you're studying and you're thinking, "Oh, you know what? I think I would like to to get started." So I think just having those like notes and ideas and working on them gives mm. you a really good
1: head start, doesn't it, for when you're actually ready and you've got that practicing certificate? I, I think it's that dreaded imposter syndrome until we get that certificate, and then we think we need another certificate, and we need another one. Um, obviously, there are some basics that you do need before you can start offering the services. But a lot of the time, many people have what they need, but they've decided themselves that they need more because they haven't got that confidence or they just they just don't feel 100% ready. But I think, I think we all know that when we get started in business, no one feels 100% ready to get started. It is always going to be a bit of a leap of faith.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think we've just got to, I think knowing that is that the first step in sort of improving that mindset at some point, this is going to feel really hard and sometimes making the decision ahead of time. So, you know, when I reach this milestone, that's when I'm going to take that next action can make it really easy. So during this session, we want to talk about the different steps that you're going to go through to get your practice started and hopefully give you some mindset hacks to help you to make that possible, because you might come at this from, you know, you know my background I've never been self-employed before I became self-employed It's probably the yeah. story everybody has um certainly wasn't brought up in an entrepreneurial family uh the idea of being self-employed and leaving yourself you know m- meaning everything has to depend on you succeeding didn't mm. seem like a done thing but I know that your background is different Joe.
1: Uh, yeah I actually you know come from a background of like hustlers and people that always got multiple things on on the cards at the same time and that even came from my grandparents you know they had a trophy shop and a post office and you know they were serial entrepreneurs so I think it does make a difference you know when I decided I was going to go out on my own at 21 just having had my son and going to be self-employed it wasn't strange in my family to do that and I think that really does make a big difference to everybody um, you know, how the, having the conversations around the dinner table about things like this will really impact. So, if you're coming from a family that there's no one self employed and they're going to look at you like you've got three heads, like, why would you do that? Are you mad? Um, so this is why it's so important to have a community of like minded people that are going through the same thing. And also, I just wanted to say that we've had you know people in our community, our members join, and some of them have studied and worked alongside us the business development stuff that you don't get taught at college alongside their exams. Um, and they've had some really, really good results and really, like, really uh, fast-tracked their success. Because not only were they were they learning about that the fundamentals of the operations of the business that they're going to build and what they're going to do for their clients when they finally get their certificates and license but they were learning about how to build a business so that it was going to be successful when they did launch and learn about branding and ideal client and pricing so that they didn't make those mistakes that we usually do make when we first go out because no one teaches us this stuff we have to learn it ourselves and that's why we're here
0: Mm, and I think as well you know what what we what we don't realize about business uh, and people always think oh you know I should keep this um backup plan all the time Mm -hmm. where it's planning for like well if it goes wrong I can you know I can just do this or I can go back to employment or whatever and actually um what I have learned in business is that you don't unlearn it so all of these skills that you build in business they don't go away uh you you, I don't think this is what's going to happen but you could go and start another business like everything you have got all of this process you've been through will apply for a new business as well. So I think we've got to know that actually, we're just developing a new skill set that's going to help us in the future. So um, you actually can, yeah, you can create the security for yourself through building your knowledge and expanding uh, that whole sort of depth of knowledge that you have.
1: 100%. And also, the, the thing is, as bookkeepers and accountants, we're going to be service providers for business owners. So, learning the business skills means that you're going to be able to add so much more value to the clients you're serving in the future because you've learned skills that, that every single business owner is going to need to know. So, not only do you understand the financial element of the business and how you can support them to make their processes streamlined, make sure everything's up to date and timely, you'll be able to help them understand about branding, marketing, pricing, and their own systems and processes across the board. So, I think it's I think it's about coming at this in a different way. I know that for years and years, people have studied to be bookkeepers and accountants and they've learnt how to do that job and learnt how to deal with debits and credits and reconciliations and complete year-end accounts. But we're saying there's a different way. If you learn alongside the business element of how business development side and how to run a profitable business, you're going to really like supercharge your success. Yeah, absolutely. So let's
0: go through some of the practical steps that we need to follow as we set up our business. And I suppose the first thing to think about is business structure. You know, one of the biggest questions you're going to be getting from clients, particularly new businesses who are thinking, oh, I need to, you know, bring a bookkeeper or an accountant in to support me. They're going to be asking you all the time, should I be a sole trader or a limited company? I think it's one of my most common questions ever. So you need to think about that for yourself as well. You know, all these startup questions your clients have, their questions for you and actually knowing that you've been through that process and you've had to answer those questions for yourself and do the research straight away makes you somebody who has more information to help your clients i think we think when we're new in business that we don't um i don't know we're less valuable for some reason because we're new mm-hmm. and actually um you're really relevant because you've actually been through everything yourself very recently and um and it's almost like we say practice on yourself and you can kind of become the advisor you are doing all of this for yourself so you need to decide what business structure is going to be right for you that's the first place to start
1: yeah absolutely and i think again with that we you know imposter syndrome comes into this i definitely when i started my latest practice in april 2019 i set up as a sole trader even though i had big goals um, I still didn't believe I could be a limited company. It it meant I had to rebrand and uh, create the new structure very soon afterwards because I hit the goals that I needed, and it was more tax efficient to be a li- limited company. So this really goes down to thinking about what do you want your business to look like in the future. Yes, you may have no clients today, and you might be thinking, "What am I doing setting up this limited company?" But you know, why do we play it so small? at the beginning when we have big dreams so yeah really think about that and it might not be the most tax beneficial point to be a limited company because you're going to have to like think about the setting up and like the costs involved where sole trade is very simple but that simplicity at the beginning it gets really complicated a bit later on down the line when you have to change it all. <laughs>
0: Mm, Yeah, definitely. So and and that I think is the first step, you know, making that decision around what structure you want to have, because after that, if you've decided you're setting up a limited company, or you're a sole trader, and you set up your bank account and all of those things, that's when you start applying for all of the next things that we're going to be talking about. So um, training crucial make sure you have your training you have to know what you're doing here um joe and i really recommend that you work with a professional body and go through your professional training and when you've got your professional training get a practicing certificate from your professional body that i i think you know anyone that we're working with we would say that's our sort of recommended route to starting a practice
1: absolutely having that professional body uh, to support you on this side of it and with the operations side and understanding what you need to do but also on that the you know things like we're going to talk about a bit later but like the um, anti-money laundering and things like insurances and things like that they can really support you with that so we'd highly recommend that you use a professional body.
0: Yeah and then We need to start to think about insurances. You need to have um, professional indemnity insurance in place. You need to think about whether there are any other insurances you might need to have for your belongings or if you're going to become an employer. And these are things that you can speak to an insurance broker about to get into place. And then you start to think about your contracts and how you're going to onboard your clients and bring them into your businesses, into your business. So what are the terms and conditions you need to have? what the policies that you need to have to support you in your business in terms of the way that you manage people's information and data, uh, the relationships that you have with your clients, who's responsible for what, what that all looks like in a business. So there are quite a lot of steps to do to make sure that you've got those contracts in place. And some people choose to work with a solicitor or use a template that's provided by the professional body. Or there are some software tools out there that can support you with
1: creating contracts as well. Yeah. And in this um, industry, they're called Letters of Engagement. And we highly recommend that before you start working with anybody, you have that letter of engagement in place, that contract to say exactly what it is you are offering for the fee and what that their side of the bargain is as well, and it's all written in black and white. At the beginning of my in, um, in my career, I we didn't really do this; it wasn't really recommended. It was for big accountancy firms, not for bookkeepers. But you soon come unstuck, and it really, you know. And I think it's all of these things about setting out these foundations and the structure correctly at the beginning, you got to act like a big business from day one, because that's how you're going to end up having a bigger business. If you treat it like a small business and cut corners, you are going to, you know, really suffer and struggle later on.
0: Yeah. Um, And then I suppose we get on to the actual service that we want to deliver. So we've done all of these sort of foundational things, thinking about who we are and what we do. But now we need to think about how we're going to support our client. I suppose this overlaps with what you're going to include in your contracts. Um, We love for you to have an ideal client. We love for you to have a very specific service that you go out and offer as your gold standard service. Um, So you need to start thinking about what is that service? What does that look like? What I'm delivering? And then you can start to build your business around that. So in terms of the roles and responsibilities in the business, is it just you? Do you have other people? What software do you use to deliver that to your client based on the size of the client? The the kind of transactions, the kind of industry they're in, which are going to be the right software tools for you? And, you know, we always say, try and keep this simple. Um, And actually by niching and choosing an ideal client, you can simplify this quite a lot. Um, Look out for a piece of software that's going to really work for that kind of client. You know, what what is the right software tool, the right package, the right um, workflow that you follow when you're working with that particular kind of client? Because when you have a niche... And you can choose the software that's going to work for that niche. You can replicate this and you can use it over and over. You can have a system that you work through. You can have a workflow. You can have a checklist. It looks the same every time.
1: Yeah, it's so handy. And when we talk about niches, a lot of people assume straight away that we're discussing industry industry. And that's not really what we're saying. We're talking about, yes, industry could be something that you niche in, but you could niche in the software that you use. You could niche for the location that you find your clients. You could niche on personality of your clients, just working with people that you like rather than dislike. There are so many ways to niche. And we're going to drop in a link to our Know Your Niche training a bit later on.
0: We then need to think about marketing, and if you have a niche, it makes it so much easier for you to go out there and find clients, because if you've got a niche, uh, you can put yourself in the place where those ideal clients come together. So really think about that. Who you know, who are they and where are they hanging out and who are they speaking to? Which networks are they part of? Uh, where do they go for their own training and their own resources? Where do they network? Where do they find clients? What software are they using? Um, you want to put yourself in front of those people um, we're all limited on time. You know, we don't have time to sit here and be on social media all day long. So we need to make sure we're really targeted and focused. But we do have to do it. And I really believe that we have to have a part of our week every single week that's dedicated to sales and marketing, because as a business owner, your job is to bring money into your business. And that means you have to get out there and you have to find clients. And also, you know, something that we would say and, you know, something that we've said regularly before is that every single stage in your business is marketing all the time. (laughs) You're marketing from the point at which you are looking for a client and bringing them into your business. You're marketing to them to bring them in. And then every time you speak to them on the phone or send them an email once they're a client while you're onboarding them and welcoming them into the business, you're reaffirming to them this is the right decision, this is the person that I want to work with on my bookkeeping. Every time you contact them at the month end, every time you do a filing for them or a VAT return or a tax return or you send them an invoice, you are communicating with them and that's reinforcing whether this is a good relationship they're happy with and whether they want to continue working with you or not.
1: So true, so true. And something we've spoken about quite a lot recently is even at the point of offboarding them, when they decide to leave you, there's a marketing opportunity there because in my practice, what I noticed that sometimes people leave you for whatever reason, the grass is greener and they decide that it's time to move on. Maybe they just want to change. But how you offboard them can really impact your future relationship. And what I found is that if I was able to offboard them in a really really good way really be supportive of their decision not make them feel bad or guilty make sure that the door was always open for them to return sometimes they did actually return because when they went and tried out the other supplier the service maybe wasn't what they expected or what they were Mm -hmm. promised and I've left the door open for them to return so that's been a learning that you know I didn't have that kind of mindset at the beginning of my business Mm -hmm.
0: And when you're speaking to your clients during your relationship, you're also putting yourself in a position where you can offer additional services. So your clients' businesses are going to change over time. They might start to grow a team or move offices or, you know, something might come up in terms of their cash flow or in terms of needing a new service or support with starting a new business. So every step of the way you need to be in front of them saying, actually, I can help you with this. Maybe we can do a cash flow forecast or maybe I can um, sit with you in this meeting that you've got coming up and, and support you more as your sort of financial expert. So remember, we're always marketing to the clients that we've already got as well. We then need to think about. Um, sales. And I think maybe, I mean, I certainly thought when I entered this industry, I'm not a salesperson. I'd i, I I've never sold. How do I do, even do that? And we have to make sure we don't overthink it. We just need to have conversations with people and ask them questions about what they do and what they need help with.
1: Yeah, we often say that You have two ears for listening and one mouth for talking. And actually, the sales process is a lot more about listening than it is talking. And I think we've all had these experiences in the past where we've been sold to and it's been a bit of an icky experience and we didn't like it. And we're like, oh, my goodness, I don't want to be in sales. But actually, what selling is, is um, a process of you really listening to the customer. What is their pain points? What do they need help with? How can you with your service take them on this transformational journey so that they can sleep at night so that they can not stress about any brown envelopes coming through the door so that they can be there at school pickup time because they're not dealing with admin? How can you talk to them about what's going on with them? And how can your services solve their problems? That is the sales process. And then
0: when you know, when you know that um, they have a problem and you're able to solve it, then you have to remember that you are valuable and that you are the person who can get in there and solve this for them, because then you can remember to price properly, because something that's really important is to charge for your worth. And this is an industry where I think we've fallen into just a trap over time of charging by the hour for a piece of work that is maybe seen as a process by people who don't understand the training that's involved and actually the insight that you can give the business owner as an expert in their business Um, and we need to be thinking about how do we price this effectively so that we can offer the best work the best service to our clients I think as technology comes along and automates things And, you know, we want to we want to embrace technology and we don't want to be thinking, well, if I use technology, it's going to be so much quicker for me to do this job. So I won't be able to charge as much. You know, we're not going to move forward in that way. So we've got to we've got to really know the value of what we're doing to our clients. And if they've just told you because you've just asked questions to them, don't feel you have to sit there and cut your price to make sure you win the client.
1: See, the thing is about the whole hourly rate, as soon as someone says to you, what's your hourly rate, and you tell them, the next question they're going to ask is, well, how long is it going to take you? Because ultimately, they want to know the price, but you don't know the answer to that. So even if you're charging an hourly rate, neither of you still know how much you're charging for the outcome. So when you are pricing, you need to be really thinking about what the outcomes are you're going to be delivering. Stop talking about, I'm going to do the bank rec and the VAT return, and I'll get in the process, your payroll, and make sure your tax return's done, because that is just something that has to get done. They don't have any choice in that. And it doesn't feel like their life's going to get better by you doing that for them. But if you talk about the fact that once the bookkeeping's done, you'll be able to have some conversations with them about who owes them money and how much money they owe other people. And you can help them with cash flow. And you can talk to them about, you know, the VAT bill that's coming up. And maybe they can, you can help them saving every month for that to help them sleep at night that's a very different conversation. You're still doing the same work, but it's how you communicate um, with the information that the bookkeeping provides you at the end, how you can help the business owner run the business and make better decisions and give them more certainty. That's where the value is. And then if you say, I'm gonna charge that at, you know, 300 pound a month, it doesn't matter how long I spend doing the work. um, That's the outcome for that amount of money. Then everyone knows where they're at, and you know exactly how much this service is going to cost and what the outcomes are. Um, so, I think people think the hourly rate feels like safer, but you never know how long it's going to take you. And ultimately, the quicker you get at the job with using systems, processes, and just getting to know the business, your bill is going to go down and down and down, but actually, you're going to be able to add more value. So, it just doesn't work out very well.
0: No. And your client isn't a bookkeeper or accountant, otherwise, they'd be doing this themselves. Um, And I think we've got to remember that your client doesn't go in and to his or her clients and cut the price (laughs) to try and win the work. Or, you know, if they do, then there's a conversation you can have with them about that. But they're they're going out and charging what they do, you know, what they need to charge for this. So you need to do the same as well in your business. So I feel like we've covered a lot really quickly, Jo, Um, but hopefully that helps you with getting started uh, with your own bookkeeping practice. If that's your plan for 2024, we'd love to support you. We've got a free quiz that you can take and it kind of goes through a checklist. Some of the things that we've spoken about today and a bit more just to help you feel like, you know, actually, I've got that done or I haven't. You know, that's actually something that needs more attention and it will really flag these areas for you. If you go to sixfigurestartup.scorewrap.com, and we'll share this as well in the show notes if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can answer some questions about your business, uh, where are you with things at the moment, and it will flag some areas and some actions that you need to take to get your business up and running. And we wish you so much success for 2024, and we'll see you next time on the Bookkeepers Podcast. Take care. thanks for joining us for the bookkeepers podcast why not join us in the six figure bookkeepers club at sixfigurebookkeeper.club or visit our website sixfigurebookkeeper.com